0: (laughs) How can we support premature babies in the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU?
1: Why do we care so much about steady oxygen levels in babies? How does
0: occupational therapy and nursing come together for a project for babies?
1: Who is involved in the project, and who does it ultimately impact? Welcome to Raincoat. My name is Isabel. And I'm Sarah. And we are excited to bring people like yourselves together to bridge the gap between current rehabilitation research and the general public.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Raincoat. Today, we have Dr. Lisa Holsti and Dr. Manon Ranger joining us. So before we get started, to the two of you, why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what kind of research you do?
2: Sure. Well, thanks very much for having us both here today. It's a real pleasure. Um, my name is Lisa Holsti. I'm a pediatric occupational therapist. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Occupational Science and Occupational Therapy at UBC. And I do research primarily over at the women's hospital in the neonatal intensive care nursery. And what I'm interested in doing is making sure that babies who are critically ill and come through our nursery have uh, the best possible developmental outcomes. And there are ways that we can work on their environment and their health to make sure that that happens.
3: Okay. Well, um, Thank you uh, also uh, to both of you for having us. This is a great opportunity to share our um, research and knowledge about this important uh, topic. And so I, my name is uh, Manon Ranger, and I'm an assistant professor in the School of Nursing at UBC. And I'm also um, a nurse uh, by profession, a pediatric nurse uh And I also am an investigator at the BC Children's Hospital Research Institute, where I conduct research, translational research, so meaning that I do animal research and I also do clinical research. And the animal research is really to answer some questions that cannot be answered uh, doing clinical research. And the population that I'm really interested in is um, complementary to um, Lisa's, it's uh, also looking at preterm. A baby, So babies that are born two to four months too early and that spend a lot of time in the neonatal intensive care unit. And I'm particularly interested in brain development and really um, protecting the brain um, of these babies uh, because they're exposed to a lot of stress and um, some painful procedures. And this is really the focus of my research, preventing any um adverse effects on their brain development.
1: Thank you so much for introducing. Um, so what we're going to talk about today is a project you both collaborated on, and it's called Karma, that project. And since we first heard about it, it really sticked in our minds. Why don't you, Lisa, give us a little pitch about this wonderful project?
2: Sure. Well, this, this project arose because one of the problems that Manon and I are concerned about in the nursery, as she mentioned, is that these babies have to experience a a number of procedures that are necessary for them to survive, but that also cause pain. And this kind of pain changes the brain while the babies are in the nursery and there are long-term effects on their neurodevelopment uh, and other areas of their function. And Um, one of the really powerful ways of helping the babies feel less pain is to have a parent hold the baby skin to skin, usually on the mother's chest or the father's chest. uh, And that really reduces pain and stress. And it does a lot of other positive things for baby development. The problem is that sometimes parents can't be available uh, when the medical procedures have to happen. And that it's for a variety of reasons. They, in British Columbia, they may live very far away. Uh, procedures happen 24 hours a day. The parents may need to be at home with their other children. Uh, there are lots of reasons why they may not be present at the bedside uh, all the time. And I happen to be visiting a lab with uh, who, a, a professor in computing science, Dr. Karen McLean, About 10 years ago, and noticed a little creature, a a robotic creature in her lab. And uh, the creature itself uh, was a replica of an animal and it purred and it had a breathing motion uh, and uh, a heartbeat sound. And I looked at it and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be interesting if we could make something like that for the nursery? for when parents aren't available to do skin-to-skin holding. And that one afternoon uh, set a course in my life for the next 10 years working on the Calmer project, uh, developing, we're we're now on the third prototype and um, have tested it in the nursery. But it was one of those serendipitous gatherings between two uh, researchers at UBC who came from very different areas to uh, start the conversation about how we could help the babies in the nursery.
0: I think that really highlights the importance of interdisciplinary networking and just getting to know people outside of your own department. So that's really great. And having that aha moment, I don't think comes very often. So that's again, really cool to hear that was what kind of sparked the interest and, um, Carry this project forward. I guess one question that I had is, you mentioned that you had to go through multiple iterations, and you're onto your third protocol now. So, can you tell me a little bit more about what each step kind of um, consisted of, and who you had to work with? Were there any other people you brought onto the team? Kind of, who are these stakeholders of this project?
2: So I'm going to backtrack just a second, tell you why we named it Calmer, and then I'll explain the cast of many who've been along to help with creating the project. The creature that we saw in Dr. McLean's lab was called Tamer because you could pet it and it would respond. It had a robotic response. And I was trying to think of what the positive thing was that we were going to be doing with this new uh, device. And the whole point of it is to calm stress. And so that's how the name came about. The first prototype, uh, I worked with Dr. McLean and uh, a team of undergraduate senior uh, engineering students. They had a, a year-long project, at, which ended in a capstone project, and so they actually built the first device. And they built it so it was uh, sturdy enough that we could actually run a clinical pilot trial with the first device on ten babies and. So, we did that in the nursery, and we seemed to get some positive results reducing babies' heart rate stress or heart uh, variability stress. And that gave us enough uh, of a clue that really we might be onto something. And so, the next version, I worked with the research engineering group at BCIT fantastic, fantastic group who we've had, had continued involvement with. Uh, They built a a much more upscale model and um, we were able to use that single prototype in a randomized clinical trial that was funded by the Canadian Institutes of Health Research. And uh, we studied 49 babies and Manon was part of that second uh, larger trial. And uh, in that project, we measured a a number of different indicators that help us understand how babies react to to a blood collection, a blood test that they need. And we found that Calmer uh, works uh, no differently from a human touch interaction that is standard in our nursery. And then the third prototype was also built by the uh, engineering group at BCIT. We needed a a version that would be much more durable that we will be using in in a project that we hope to get funded over the next year. The other people who have been involved have been uh, the Technology Development Office at the BC Cancer Agency. Our our key uh, link with that is Dr. Patrick Rebstein, and they hold uh, two patents we now have uh, on the device and have been fantastic support along the way. But uh, and I've had tons of support from all the staff in the NICU. Um, and, and so really, uh, it's been one of those projects when I have needed help and I've asked for it, people have showed up. And so it's just been a real, um, a, a really fun thing to do, even though, you know, not every day is is wonderful, but it's been on the whole super positive.
1: Wow, that sounds like a real journey. Um, you just mentioned that Manon came in around the second phase of that uh, project. And I'm wondering, Manon, can you tell us a little bit more about how
3: you heard of Karma? Well, th- that's a great question. And I guess I will first uh, um, backtrack also about a bit about my background. Uh, so in, in my PhD um, project, I was really interested in measuring pain but with a more um objective and i use quotations uh, because uh, babies cannot tell you uh, verbally that they're in pain and how much their uh, their what is their pain level which is the gold standard for for uh, people that can um uh, rate their pains like like us and so i we usually rely on uh, behaviors, mostly, or physiological measures like increase in heart rate or um, the level of oxygenation in the blood, um, respiration rate, but mostly behavior um, responses, especially facial expression. I use a technology called um, near-infrared spectroscopy, which measures a uh, Oxygenation levels in uh, tissue, especially we can use it for brain tissue, and so the idea was that um, when there's pain, there's a lot of blood that goes to the brain, and and it brings it can bring a lot of oxygen, or there could be a drop also in oxygen in in the brain, and so if we could use this um, a device that measures. Um, by near-infrared infra- spectroscopy or NEARS, um, then we could have kind of like this more objective measure of, of pain. And so in my PhD that's what I did uh, during a painful procedure in the uh, cardiac intensive care unit so the procedure was removal of a chest drain it's it's quite painful but it's it's um, short lived and I I wanted to use this technology to see if I could have like a signal uh, pick up a signal that would indicate pain and uh, also at the same time, we were filming babies and looking at their facial expression, and so I could see a, a correlation between the facial expression and also what was going on in their brain. My PhD was conducted at McGill University in Montreal, and then I was I was coming to UBC to do uh, a postdoc, um, and uh, Lisa connected with me. V- nearly uh, I think I wasn't even coming and she uh, already connected with me because we have known each other from conferences because of our interest in in pain management in in children and especially in neonates and in, in little babies and so um when I when I came she she talked to me about this project and about uh using NEARS uh, to um measure pain during Um, the um, blood collection um, and to compare the um, level of oxygenation in the brain of babies that were not on Calmer compared to babies that were uh, in combination also with behavior uh, measures, facial expression uh, to measure pain, and also um, the heart rate um that was measured at the same time and so that's what my role was and now we um we have this great collaboration moving forward with calmer uh, with the third um prototype uh trying to answer more questions regarding uh, the calmer's effect on babies' uh, brain development especially
0: great i think You covered so beautifully how your clinical background really shaped how you got into the project and your interest in pain management and working specifically with that pediatric neonatal population. But to kind of flip it, um, Lisa, you mentioned you have an OT background and for me, when I think about OT, I think about kind of that rehabilitation process, maybe from like a stroke or spinal cord injury, kind of a different population and not babies. So can you tell me a little bit more about how you made that connection between your OT background and working with the neonatal population?
2: Sure, thanks. Uh, Great question. So, um, OTs are uh, in, in working with tiny children, young, young babies, we are interested in how those babies interact with their environment, how they communicate with their families, uh, and that may be through movements and behaviors and facial expressions and crying and smiling and things like that. How the, how the parents respond, how they interact with other parts of their environment And what their developmental trajectories are like. So when I was a clinician, I worked in the neonatal intensive care nursery, helping families understand the development of their babies and how they could interact to help their development uh, be optimized. And then I also worked in a neonatal follow-up program that is still running, where we followed the highest risk babies uh, up until eight years of age. And so I saw how these babies actually did after they left the nursery and how the, how they got along in their families. And a certain proportion of those very high-risk babies, those born uh, 800 grams um, or less, so less than a kilo, uh, and or babies who had brain injury because of uh, various uh, conditions in the nursery, some of those infants went on to have permanent Impairments related to their neurodevelopment. And after 17 years, I was really interested in moving out of the clinical realm and seeing if I could apply research in a broader capacity to help more babies than just working with families on a one on one basis. And so my interest is really how can we optimize brain development? How can we optimize the environment of these babies? And so, Calmer actually is. Uh, changes the environment for these infants when they're in the incubator. It provides a specific stimulus, a heartbeat sound, a breathing motion, and an artificial skin surface to mimic aspects of the skin-to-skin care experience. And it's it's definitely not a complete replacement. It's a partial replacement. But a lot of research went into figuring out what components we thought would be most important to include, and. Um, and then, what I want to know is, you know, my ultimate goal in the long term is what's going to happen to these babies' development if they have exposure to calmer over an entire length of per- uh, length of time when they're in the NICU, so over many months. And so, so far, we have studied uh, the impact of calmer on a single blood collection and and a calmer, calmer stimulus up to about six hours afterwards. And the next phase of our research, we're going to look at babies having calmer available over a number of weeks instead of just a, a half a day. And as Menno has mentioned, uh, one of the key measures that we're going to be looking at is how that's going to affect brain development while the babies are still in the nursery.
1: Thank you, Lisa. Um, before we go further in the design process, I'm really interested in, I just want to um, ask about if you can, as an OT, give for our listeners a quick definition of what is OT? What is an occupational therapist doing in general?
2: Sure. Well, in, if you go on the Canadian Occupational Therapy website, Association website, it says that we're healthcare workers who try to solve problems that interfere with a person's ability to do things that are important to them. And we, we divide those up into kind of three categories. So they're everyday things like how can a person take care of themselves? Um, so uh, uh, Sarah, you mentioned the issue around a stroke. And so how can we help people get dressed after they've had some in- brain injury related to stroke? That might be one example. Uh, another example is how do they manage uh, their productive lives? So, things like their working environment, their ability to attend to school, um, participating in the community and then we also are, are interested in how people spend their their leisure time so uh, are they interested in gardening how do they how can we adapt the environment so that if there's injury um, or acute illnesses how can they still participate in those activities uh, We view, uh, we take a client-centered approach. So we work d- specifically with the clients. And in my case, that would be the, the parents or the caregivers of each infant, and or it may be the nursing staff or other uh, nursery staff to try to optimize the environment for the babies. And, um, and, and then we may see them later on if, after they've uh, left the nursery. So occupational therapists might be involved with premature children in the school system who might have various issues related to their uh, motor development or their learning.
1: Great. Thank you. Um, I think that gives a good overview for our listeners of what occupational therapists do. And I totally agree with Sarah. It's very um, amazing that this work is also done with babies, um, something not everyone is thinking of directly. Um, You mentioned that uh, occupational therapy is very client centered. So how does this client centeredness work with karma?
2: Great question. Uh, One of the groups of people that I didn't mention when you were asking about uh, what what we did with the various iterations of the prototypes was that we, not only did we do a clinical study around uh, the effect on pain, but we also did, uh, we included end users in qualitative research. uh, And that was led by Dr. Melinda Suto, who is an emeritus uh, professor in my department. And she interviewed mothers and uh, unit staff, so nurses primarily, but we also had a lab technician, about their thoughts around Calmer. We were particularly concerned that we didn't want mothers to feel that they were being replaced by a piece of equipment. And because it's already uh, a vulnerable time for families uh, where they have expert care of their infants and trying to have the parents fit into that care and be, a, be the kind of primary person they need to be when the baby's in the nursery. And so, from the qualitative interviews, we learned that, uh, in particular, that the mothers, rather than feeling threatened or concerned about calmer, felt that calmer was an extension of themselves and it made them feel less anxious to leave the baby because calmer can be programmed individually for each baby so we take the resting heart rate and breathing rate of the parent and that rate is programmed into calmer for that particular baby and the parent so it's a matching up it's not just a generic number that we choose and because we had that individualization the, the families and the mums felt uh, very relaxed they weren't threatened by it it looked very innocuous when we designed it, we uh, had input from the nursery staff and, and uh, I had worked in the nursery for many, many years and so had a really good sense of what I thought would be acceptable in terms of a design uh, for the nursery. And we made an absolute, um, we made a critical point, which was don't make it look like a human being make it look like a part of the incubator. And so we really deconstructed the design from something that started out with an animal-like appearance, which the tamer had originally, and we turned it into a, what looks like just part of the bed. And that's a quote from one of the mums, it just looks like another piece of the bed. And um, the staff felt that it didn't interfere with the workflow. Uh, and so we we have some user End user information about the second prototype. We need to do much more of that kind of uh, gathering, that much more information on the next iteration, which we will do, uh, because the the will be implemented over a longer period of time, and we need to understand in much more detail what effect that's going to have on the care of the babies.
0: You answered all the questions that I had. I was just going to ask you what it looked like, and you already went for it. I think the part that you highlighted about getting um, information from both the moms and the families that were directly affected by the calmer project but also kind of the staff to make sure that the implementation part of the common project would also be um, good to go. I think you kind of covered multiple bases there which is always good but there was one thing that I wanted to direct the conversation to which was about a recent um, press release by UBC just from March 25th and this was featuring both of you, uh, Manon and Lisa. And I was wondering kind of what that was like to kind of share that with the external general public and kind of if you had to change the way you shared the news in any way or kind of what that was like.
3: Well, I can speak to that uh, because... Basically, I was the one that pushed this (laughs) because it featured a a paper that I was first author on. uh, And and Lisa was the senior author because it came out of of her uh, lab, her work, of course. And it was um, uh, regarding my involvement with the Calmer project. Um, the um, original uh, randomized control trial. And in this paper, the, the findings were particularly focused on the um, the nears, um, so the brain oxygenation uh, findings uh, regarding the effect of Calmer on, on that. The media person in the applied sciences um, really helped us uh, pitch this um, I create this kind of media release that was um, in in lay language, um, and and then it was posted on the UBC website, and um, and then it got also pitched to different media outlets. And actually, there was some covering also at the CTV News, uh, the local one, the Vancouver um, CTV News, uh, on Saturday night at six o'clock. Where they if they talked about Calmer and related to that media um, uh, press release um, again as um, Lisa mentioned uh, she uh, said that Calmer was um, as effective as the standard care, which is um, a human touch-based uh, uh intervention for, for pain management, it was equivalent to or as as effective to calm the babies when we compared the two groups uh and and for the 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 brain measures so we we found that the babies that were uh placed on calmer uh during the painful procedure um uh, It kept their brain oxygen levels steady during the the procedure, and which normally often we see big spikes. Either it goes up or comes down uh, during, in response to pain. And so, what we saw again is that calmer helped. Keep that steady. And why is that important? Is that for for newborns and especially for uh, preterm babies, it's really critical to keep their overall uh, brain uh, blood oxygenation levels uh, steady in their brain because they're really at risk for uh, uh, brain bleeds.
0: Absolutely. And I think we've definitely talked a lot about the gap that calmer is filling and the importance of it. Um, And going back to the news release, why did you feel like uh, you needed to publish or share the news about the results of your paper? Like what's the importance of sharing the news with the general public using lay terms and making it accessible?
3: Well, because of the the impact that uh, Calmer uh, may have on uh, protecting the brains of these uh, preterm babies. And also, well, to, that's it to just share the the news because often we publish these these uh, findings, and then, well, we hope that people will read. But uh, media is very good at really disseminating, and especially disseminating to the the public that may have had, uh, you know. Parents that have had babies that um, were born prematurely, that spend a lot of of time in the nursery, they uh, would be interested in knowing that, yes, UBC is trying to um, help these babies grow uh, healthy, grow up healthy, and we're trying to protect their brains. um, And Calmer has uh, this potential um, to be able to do this. And so it was just to showcase um, great work that we're doing um, with
2: Calmer. If you don't mind, I can add uh, just a couple of sentences to that. There, there are a couple of audiences who are really important for our ability to do what we call technology transfer. So um, I, de- uh, the team and I developed Calmer so that one day, We hope that the features will actually be embedded in incubators that are produced by the main main manufacturers of incubators. And we'd also be interested in uh, working with industry to uh, produce single units. And there are a number of uses that those could be um, distributed for. And so not only do we have an audience of the general public uh, and parents, as Manon said, and the staff in the nursery and other researchers around the world, But also uh, very interested in working with industry to help us with the technology transfer, both uh, in incubator platforms, but also as individual units.
1: Yeah, those are really, uh, really important uh, stakeholders and points and really emphasizes how important this research is. You just mentioned uh, around the world, you also have collaborations. So I'm wondering what collaborations do you have around the world?
2: I'm working with an undergraduate, uh, a a set of undergraduate students from Cornell University. They're engineering uh, students. And we're working on redesigning commerce so that it can be used in uh, developing countries. And so we have to really rethink how we power the device, uh, what can be managed with the kind of cleaning uh, abilities that they have in the nursery, where we have connections with uh, nursery in Malawi. Um, And so we're kind of in the middle of that redesign. We don't have a prototype yet, but I'm hoping in the next couple of months that we will have the full design set so that we can take it to uh, the next stage and actually build it. One of the things that's been interesting about learning about technology transfer is that, that we actually had to keep the project pretty quiet for quite a long time because in order to secure the intellectual property, or patents, you aren't allowed to disclose what you're doing. And so really we had to, to stay very quiet and the research needed to take place locally. Um, and that kind of helps keep the word under wraps until it can be publicized a little bit more. And so when we had the first trial results come out, um, it was really the first time I was able to talk about Calmer broadly um, to through the media and kind of had a whirlwind day with a bunch of interviews and um and it was pretty exciting
1: okay yeah that must have been quite difficult to stay quiet about an exciting project like this um what i was wondering is uh, you just said already you have a few prototypes out and um where you're at right now, but how is that, um, how is someone able to maybe be part of this project? So do you also invite parents to try it out with their newborns?
2: We're not at that stage yet. We, we had, um, five prototypes that were built and literally we just got delivery of those about two months ago. Um, from BCIT those were funded through the generous donations through the BC Women's Hospital Foundation and those are going to be used for the next randomized trial that we're going to apply for money for we're, we're doing some pilot testing right now um, so the commerce not available commercially yet but um, but again, I'm interested and would be very would welcome if there are any industry industry partners out there listening to this podcast who would like to talk further about how we might uh, make this available f- more broadly for the public. I'm I'm absolutely open to having those discussions, and in the meantime, we have enough just to start doing another larger project at BC Women's Hospital. Uh, hopefully, in the next starting up. Uh, the bigger project within the next year. But we're, as I said, we're already in the middle of uh, starting a a small pilot study. Um, So as I said, it's not available yet commercially, but happy to talk to anybody interested in pursuing that with us. Um, And we will be certainly involving families who are in the nursery to provide us with much more detailed feedback about their views about Calmer and how it's fitting into neonatal care more generally.
0: And we talked about some different ways of sharing the news of all the exciting updates of the Commer Project through either the news release, through papers that's been published. Are there any other mediums that uh, the Commer Project has been talked about or shared that we haven't talked about yet?
2: We, I presented Commer at the BC Tech Conference, which is a, a big international conference that's held in the spring. I was nominated through the Faculty of Medicine to present Commer there. That was in 2018. Um, Of course, it's been tweeted about on Twitter. Um, Both the the media release that Menal was involved in uh, over the weekend, that was on Twitter. Um, The papers that I and the media interviews I did uh, in 2019, again, Twitter, um, lots of media sort of did read reboots of the article in different venues and so it came out in a number of different places uh, internationally and nationally. Uh, Those are the main things uh, that I'm aware of at this point. And if I may add... uh,
3: um there was last year also the the conference that is all new to to me and i believe also um new to lisa but she's getting more involved in that is it's more like about designing for people um and it was a conference that is mostly engineering and computer science uh, people that uh, attend but um there was um a paper that was uh, well it's a it's um yeah it's a conference paper conference proceeding so this is was new to me also getting involved in that because normally we just um uh, publish our articles peer in peer reviewed uh, journals uh, but this one was um um a bit different the the process and it was uh, um focusing on the qualitative um um, results that uh, Lisa mentioned regarding the um, the feedback that we got from the the mothers and also from the the NICU staff, the neonatal from the neonatal intensive care unit, and maybe Lisa, you can speak more about about that process and and what came out of it.
2: Yeah, thanks, Manu. Yeah, um, we worked with uh, Dr. Sabrina Hauser, who at the time was a postdoctoral fellow uh, in a program called the Designing for People Research Excellence Cluster, and I'm the co-director of that cluster. And it's an interdisciplinary cluster that's interested in human-centered design. Uh, and so Sabrina really took the reins of the qualitative research and uh, present pre- uh, prepared a Proceedings for the uh, Computer Human Interaction Conference, which is a the largest international uh, human computing interaction conference in the world, and um, so we had. And the purpose of the paper was really to talk about the ten year design process. So not only did it present the qualitative data, but the qualitative data was embedded in the story of how Commer came to be, how it fits in the current. Uh, human-computer interaction, um, technology development around touch-based design and that kind of thing for babies. And uh, the paper was extremely well received and actually was uh, given a best paper award, uh, which means it was in the top 1% of all the papers in its uh, particular stream. Uh, and so that was, that was really exciting. And, uh, and as Manel said, it was a new experience. We, we published papers slightly differently in health sciences. So it was fun to learn a new system with the, the engineering and computing science uh, lens on things. I
1: I do have one more question regarding that, because you said you did the qualitative study and we spoke about client-centeredness, and since babies cannot talk themselves and parents seem to play a really big role, can you give us a little bit of insight about what
2: feedback did parents give? Sure. Well, um, there were really sort of three things, three themes that came out of the qualitative research. And I've I've mentioned one of those already, and uh, it it related to uh, their feelings about um, how the device made them feel about parenting. So what we, as I said, we didn't want to. Um, be a threat so it was really about kind of what the what the mother's reactions were to calmer and the first theme was called the a backup of me and i've i've talked about that a little bit but the fact that we could do a, something that would mimic the mother and um it it provided kind of a positive link to the mother's biological signals uh was something that they really liked and The second one was around strengthening the mother-infant connection, and um, lots of times the the neonatal intensive care nursery can kind of seem like a scary place, and um, the environment can really feel unnatural, Uh, but the mothers really felt that uh, the babies looked very comfortable on Calmer, um, that their, their heart rates were really nice and even, and It helped them stay, the mothers themselves stay calm and kind of helped them handle the whole situation. And then the last theme was really about what did this piece of technology look like? What was the perception of it? And the the mother's feedback was really around the calmer being just a bed. So it was really seen as unobtrusive, an unobtrusive piece of technology. It was just like a platform it wasn't scary they didn't have any apprehensive thoughts um and so that was very gratifying um and and the, and one of the mothers said i'm happy that she's on it and that really uh sort of underscored the whole idea it was that we we had lots of positive feedback and that the calmer was unobtrusive and unrobotic like which was really the goal we wanted uh, in the design process. And if I
3: may add, being a nurse and having worked in the um, the, the neonatal intensive care unit as when I first started uh, as a nurse, I know that parents feel guilty if they can't be there twenty four hours a day next to their baby and and picking them up. And sometimes they can't because the baby is is so. Um, Fragile and sick, that it has to stay in in its incubator, and they they feel guilty because they they wish that they could protect the baby their baby or help them more, and so calmer really plays a role in that. Where as a mother said, it's an extension of of. Um, of her or of them. And also as a nurse, um, there's a lot of technology already in the nursery, lots of machines, lots of, of things that make noise. um, And knowing that calmer is just really something that is integrated into the, 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 um, the incubator. You can't even see it basically, unless it's on, it's on and you could see the baby moving a little bit but um, it's really not something that is adding any burden uh, to the care that they provide. And on top of it, nurses also feel guilty when they can't provide pain management. Um, And sometimes they can't be at the bedside to do this um, pain management strategy that is the standard care currently in the nursery at the uh, BC Women's Hospital, so it's it's a touch based um, intervention where nurses have to be present and have to touch the baby, tuck them during a painful procedure. But sometimes they can't be there when the the lab technician is is there to take the blood, and so they because they're busy doing something else. And so that with that they can also feel guilty, but knowing that the calmer is there and that they can just start it up and that it will be um, as effective as their human touch base um, intervention that they do normally um, is also kind of a backup of the nurse in a way. So it's not just a backup of of the mother, but also a backup of the nurse.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's really important that um, it not only fills a gap, but it improves the neonatal care. So I think this project is just so, so important. And overall, I would say that the Calmer project is a great example of engaging end users, obtaining their feedback. Working with various stakeholders in a collaborative way with all these engineers, these undergraduates from Cornell, like all over the place, as well as disseminating your findings so broadly through press releases, um, Twitter at the BC Tech conference, all these different ways to engage both broadly as well as a specific um groups that you are targeting. So I think overall, it just hits all these different pillars of great um, KT and knowledge translation and just very user-focused intervention. So this was really great spending the last little bit talking about the Calmer project and both of your roles. Are there any last comments or anything you would like to share with our listeners of how they can stay connected with Calmer updates or maybe get in touch with either of you?
2: Yeah, um, I'm on Twitter. L Holstey at whatever it is. Sorry, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not uh, super wise on Twitter. I think Manoa is also on Twitter, but you can email me at uh, lisa.holstey at ubc.ca uh, to find out, to, to connect with me. If you have any questions or ideas around karma, would be happy to uh, engage.
3: And myself also, as as Lisa mentioned, uh, I have a Twitter handle. Although I'm not very active, but I I should be more. Um, it's at Doctor Dr Manon Ranger, and uh, also uh, I I have an email at UBC. Um, manon.ranger at UBC.ca, and I welcome also graduate students that would like to work with with us um, on um, you know the next phases of CALMER. Lots of of questions still need to be answered, and so I'm I have cross memberships in in pediatrics and also. Um, in the neuroscience uh, graduate program and also in the reproductive and developmental sciences, all part of the Faculty of Medicine.
0: Fantastic. So you heard it here, folks. Whether you're looking for an industry partner or a graduate opportunity, we'll list both of their emails and Twitter handles below. And that wraps it up
1: for this episode. That's it for today, right from the heart of Vancouver. Thanks to UBC AMS for supporting this podcast.
0: Keep in touch in the meanwhile on Twitter at Raincoat Podcast. Till
1: next time. Stay dry and stay safe.